This episode is brought to you by Direct Drilling, a locally owned family drilling company based in Kununurra, servicing the Kimberley and Northern Territory. All drillers are nationally licensed with the Australian Drilling Industry Association, ensuring best practice, the protection of water resources and guaranteeing the life of the bore. Find out more at directdrill.com.au. Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Welcome back to the Central Station Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Luke Hayes. Luke was born a sixth-generation pastoralist on Deepwell Station in Central Australia. You'd be forgiven if you assume that Luke was planning to continue in the same line of work as the previous five generations of his family. It just makes sense, right? However, that is not Luke's story. As a consequence of drought, death, and the human agency that comes with living in the 21st century, Luke has ventured away from the pastoral pathway. In this episode, Luke shares how growing up on a cattle station has shaped his life today, what it's like stepping out from the family business, and what he has learnt along the way. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Steph. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you today? Um, Well, thank you. So today we're sitting here in Alice Springs, which is, as we're about to find out, or our listeners are about to find out, is your home turf. But before we get into that, let's start off with the usual question, which is, what are you watching, reading, or listening to at the moment, or if you like, all three? Sure. So um, I'm not really much of a connoisseur of TV, although every now and then I sink my teeth into something. Um, Just finishing up Peaky Blinders at the moment, which is recommended uh, by a friend. yeah, quite enjoying that one. Uh, it's pretty pretty gritty and enjoyable. Um, but uh, as far as reading, um, been really sporadic with things lately. But uh, I'm actually reading uh, a memoir by Flea, who, who's the basis from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, unusual choice, uh, but I read Scar Tissue, which was the biography from uh, the singers. So thought I'd follow up with that. And it's been pretty good thus far. Quirky and, uh, certainly, um, yeah, these guys live a very rock and roll lifestyle, but, uh, not interesting nonetheless. So yeah, I enjoy, um, yeah, true sort of recounts of real events. What about, um, do you listen to any audio books or podcasts? Uh, I do enjoy podcasts. Um, so, uh, uh, being a uh, fan of uh, 
dirt bikes and that sort of thing. Um, there's a handful of podcasts related to that that I listen to. I'm just thinking uh, podcasts about dirt bikes. To me, that sounds so bizarre. But then I guess this is a podcast about cattle stations. So to <laughs> other people, that must also sound pretty bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I guess like if it's uh, if it's sort of a common thread there, um, no doubt there'll be someone else out there who's interested to hear something that you know um, they share a passion about um i guess that's how it works these days you know you look at sort of the success of youtubers or podcasters or people on the internet that just ramble on about you know random things i think there are children that make money out of reviewing toys on the net now so oh yeah yeah there's a lot of those reaction videos where it's like such and such reacts to this prank or whatever and i'm like why do I have to watch you react? Why can't I just watch the prank? Like- exactly. People are, uh, uh, it's interesting what people choose to waste their time, uh, in, uh, digesting. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, your name is Luke Hayes, as I said at the beginning and would mm. be in the title of this podcast episode. Mm-hmm. And you were born a sixth generation pastoralist in this region. Yes. And let's be honest, there are Hayes, 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 whatever. <laughs> there are a lot of Hayes everywhere mm. in this region um yes. which mob do you belong to so i belong to uh so my father was uh billy hayes so technically my first name is william mm-hmm. um i'm just uh yeah the sixth one of those it's just uh seems to be tradition the oldest son uh you know cops that one but um somewhere along the line i think i, I don't know i never really had a, had a choice in it or i guess so but uh, i've always just been luke which is my middle name um Somewhere along the line, people must have just had a gut full of calling everyone Will or Bill. So, um, yeah, I've uh, always been known as Luke. But, uh, yeah, so I belong to uh, Billy is my dad and uh, Tracy is my mum. And, um, yeah, I grew up on uh, Deepwell Station. And is that the station that has been in your family for the most amount of time? Like, who who yeah. was the original Hayes that came to the region? Are they related to, I guess, the other Hayes's? Yeah, so I guess it all um, branched off. So uh, my uh, ancestor, so uh, Ted Hayes, uh, he came up and I, I believe the story was um, came up uh, to replace the wooden telegraph poles uh, with, uh, I guess they would have been galv or steel, um, you know, way back when, six generations ago, uh, late 1800s. And um you know, they arrived here, uh, he was with his wife, uh, and then they decided to settle down and, um, you know, get into the pastoral game. It was sort of a bit of a lawless land up here back then, and, um, you know, the very early days of Alice Springs, it was sort of a, you know, a little place in the middle of absolute nowhere, and they found a foothold, and, you know, the rest is history. Um, I love that you said it was a pretty lawless place back then, because I feel like you know, it's 2021 and let's be honest, Alice Springs is pretty lawless today. So God knows what Absolutely. it was like back then. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a common, uh, common theme up here. Um, certainly a bit of a final frontier in that aspect. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess back then, you know, um, there weren't really many boundary fences and, uh, you know, people's sort of word was bond and I'm sure there are a lot of cattle, uh, you know, gone missing uh, all over the place. And, uh, all sorts of disputes that were probably settled uh, by means not real uh, deemed legal today, probably. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was uh, you know certainly um, 
well, I could say from first-hand experience, but I w- would imagine it was a very interesting time to be here back then. Yeah, and I should probably just clarify for anyone listening, when I say it's lawless today, I certainly don't mean that pastelettes are running around with, you know, pulling out pistols out of their holsters and having, <laughs> having fights over dodging cattle. I just mean more general town life can yeah. be. Well, that might still happen. No, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, it's no secret. It's, uh, you know, the, the territory in uh, Alice Springs, certainly, it's... Uh, yeah, going through a bit of a tumultuous phase. Um, 2020 was very interesting and, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, we can sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, all the parties involved can come to a more uh, amicable sort of stance on the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting time to be here at the moment as well. Now, while we are talking about being a haze, um, I have just had a question pop into my mind. There's a very famous poem called Turbulence by... Murray, Murray Harden. Harden. Okay. It was Murray H something. And it's the story of Billy Hayes. Yes. That's about my granddad. Okay. Oh my God. Really? Cause when you just yeah. said that your dad, you know, is Billy Hayes, I was like, maybe it's about his dad. So that was about your dad, your granddad. Yes. Yes. So, um, Murray or Muzz is affectionately, yeah. is affectionately known by, uh, by the family. So he, uh, would often come and stay, uh, up this neck of the woods. I believe he's from, uh, Sydney or uh, New South Wales somewhere. And, um, yeah, he would come up, sort of maybe make an annual trip, and he, he is a poet uh, by trade um, and a humorous one at that. Um, and uh, I guess like almost a cross between like a Banjo Patterson meets uh, Kevin Bloody Wilson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so he's got uh, you know uh, quite a swath of um, poems, but uh, yeah, decided to write one about my granddad. And uh, that yeah, is so cool. Yeah. Okay, you have to tell us something about your granddad because I love that poem. And wherever I've been in the world, I know certainly when I lived in Canada and the US, I've always pulled it up on YouTube and played it to people because I can't the way he recites that poem and he puts on like that little accents and the dialect and whatnot. Yeah. Like, it's so good and I could never do it justice. Um, and even not even that long ago, I was out on a station north of Alice and we were sitting around a campfire playing like um, poems and songs off our phones and that one came up, of course. So yeah. he's a yeah. real person. I'm so excited. All right, tell Absolutely. us about Granddad Billy. Um, so I guess, you know, a, a pastoralist and, uh, you know, him and Murray had a, a very close friendship. Um, you know, uh, many a crowny sunk uh, out of Urmina, uh, which was like a, a tourist endeavor that my grandparents uh, embarked on uh, in the early 90s. Um, it was sort of like a, a bush experience kind of thing. He absolutely loved it. Um, and, and yeah, so my granddad, um, you know, he's a, uh, stockman, uh, loved his horses. Um, and yeah, not such a fan of, uh, of, uh, flight, uh, which is uh, apparent in the poem. Um, and yeah, so, uh, he, uh, I don't know, was just, uh, you know, much, yeah, a real character. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, Loved to laugh and uh, loved a bit of cheeky humour. Um, but, um, yeah, so uh, uh, that poem, uh, you know, uh, my grandparents would sort of have like an annual um, Christmas function each year and, um, you know, as a or sort of, you know, from about 10 years old until, I don't know, you know in my teens at some stage, um, they'd asked me to recite that at this uh, Christmas do and it was always yeah always a bit of a nerve wracking thing for me um it's uh, you know it's probably sort of five or six minutes long but yeah. I was just about to say if I put you on the spot now I won't but if I did could you recite it it's been a while um but I probably yeah I think I could yeah I think we should just do another whole episode on your granddad 
I'm trying to think of a name for him because, like, I call everyone's dad their papa bear, and I'm like, I guess your grandpapa bear. He was bear? pa to me. Oh, your pa. Okay, let's yeah. do another episode on your pa, <laughs> sure. and then you can recite the poem. This is so yeah. cool. I can't believe he's actually a real person. I was just thinking, I was like, oh, Billy Hayes. Like, I know that name. Mm. Cool. And I'm yeah. sure if people haven't heard that poem, well, first of all, where the bloody hell have you been? But second of all, I'll put a link in the show notes. You have to go listen. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I don't know. It's. it's uh Sort of seems to pop up in the randomest places. Um, the local radio station even every now and then just sort of pulls it out and sometimes I'll be you know, in a complete different sort of place or setting and, um, yeah, that'll strike a chord with somebody. Uh, so, yeah, it's certainly been well received and it's um, been around a while now. So it's sort of certainly done the rounds and I think a lot of people that are, you know, uh, uh, you know, enjoy sort of the bush humour and that kind of thing. Um, they've probably heard it at some stage, but uh, no, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek sort of thing and uh, it's not based on a true story. Uh, oh, really? It, you know, oh, okay. It, it, it is, uh, I, I, I believe so anyway. So there is elements of truth to it. But, just uh, crushed my soul here. <laughs> no, it was more Muzz's uh, creative talent. Um, you know, the, the entire thing was really just tongue-in-cheek humour. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it was probably uh you know concocted uh, after a few beers one evening out at Ermina. um the concept was probably birthed then but uh yeah the it's not uh you know based on a on an actual event uh, more more so just uh i think just uh, uh murray's sort of tip of the hat to my granddad's character yeah wow so you have some legends in your family um, what about your immediate family now? Tell me about who's who's there and what your childhood was like. And sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess um, you know my uh, mum Tracy. Uh, she's uh, quite a sort of familiar name uh, for people in the territory. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, she uh, has had a stint um, with the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association uh, as a CEO, and uh, you know has uh, really sort of given a, a lot of her time and efforts um, to the pastoral industry, uh, not only in the Territory but sort of beyond, uh, you know, uh, nationwide. Um, And, uh, yeah, she's a a, a passionate um, supporter of the Territory and uh, and the industries here Um, and, uh, you know, is certainly, I guess, in a way, a a bleeding heart for uh, for the causes of the pastoral industry and, uh, you know, having grown up uh, on Deepwell, you know, we've sort of seen uh, all aspects of, uh, you know, the trials and tribulations of uh, the partial game. And so, um, you know, she comes from a place of understanding. Uh, also, having grown up around Udnadatta uh, on properties herself uh, as a kid. Uh, and my dad, uh, Billy, uh, he, uh, yeah, grew up on Deepwell as well. Um, was, uh, you know, school of the air kid uh, like myself. And, um yeah, he, uh, I guess childhood with him was just, uh, you know, station life. Um, wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, he's, um, sadly deceased now, uh, as of about four years ago, um, passed away, uh, in a mustering incident. But, uh, yeah, sort of, uh, you know, uh, as, as did my granddad. But, um, yeah, part of the pastoral game, I guess. Um, everyone sort of doing what they love and, uh, working with it until, you know, until the last day, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't even know you back then. I didn't even know you until a few weeks ago, really. But I do remember when that happened because there was just an absolute outpouring um, in the industry. So I think that just speaks volumes to 
certainly the person um, he was and the legacy he left behind and absolutely you know we talk about this place being a bit of a lawless land and etc but um you know the community here is like no other uh, i think that's the real draw card to this place um you know uh, i think people from maybe small regional communities everywhere could maybe identify with that but just um you know the, the support when uh the chips are down and times are tough uh from you know the uh from the public or from you know friends uh far and wide uh, you know it's really humbling um and yeah uh, my family was certainly appreciative of the outpouring of support um during that time and um yeah it certainly uh you know helped help to uh helped us through what uh has been a difficult time for the family yeah what are your memories of growing up on Deepwell Station? I suppose for anybody listening who hasn't had the privilege of growing up with life on the land, particularly on a pastoral lease, what what was it like? Can you walk us through it? Yeah, I, I guess like I, I can't really compare it to anything else, having not uh, you know lived a life outside of that uh, as a child. But um, certainly wouldn't change it for the world. Um, it was interesting. So I was so originally actually um, you know I was. Um, when I was born, uh, my folks were living on the station uh, next to Deepwell, which is Maryvale. Uh, Tichikala community was sort of the, uh, you know, only a few hundred metres up the road. Uh, and I sort of uh, was there as a toddler. And then we packed up and moved to Deepwell. Uh, that was about the time that my grandparents went into uh, their sort of bush tourism uh, endeavour. And then, um, you know, my folks uh, ended up on uh, Deepwell. Uh, and yeah, I mean, very, very fond memories. Um, you know, uh, school of the air, all that kind of thing. Uh, I was there from, uh, for the transition from radio lessons to sort of this new era of the internet. Oh, you went to school on a two way. Yeah. You're yeah. not even that old. I thought that transition happened a, a ways ago. Wow. It's yeah. Like, you're not even that old. You're in your like, mid to late twenties, um, yeah. Yeah. closer to the mid. Okay. Yeah. So you went to, what was that like? I can't even, I have a shocking ability to use a two way during mustering and understand what the heck people are saying. How is it like, um, you know, your education depending on being able to understand what's coming across a two way. Oh, it was a circus really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, as I said, very fond memories. Um, but, uh, so, you know, typically, um, in those days we'd have a, a like a, a governess or a home tutor of some sort. Um, you know, mum had a stab and then I think we sort of drove her grey far too early. So, um, you know, generally it'd be some sort of, uh, maybe someone on a gap year or something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> looking back now, poor, poor girls or whoever it might've been probably in for a, you know, a real, uh, shock. I'm sure, you know, my brothers and I, uh, were quite a handful. Um, I'm the oldest of four, but, um, yeah, the, so, we would have set coursework, uh, provided by, um, you know, I guess like Northern Territory schooling body of some sort, um, or, you know, Alice Springs School of the Air would supply the coursework and we would have a teacher in town who, uh, was the overseer of, um, you know, I, I guess ensuring that we were, you know, crossing our T's and dotting our I's and, um, keeping current with the work that was submitted and then, you know, go through it with the governess. But, um, generally once a day, sometimes more than that, um, we would have, you know, a radio lesson, uh, and it was, yeah, uh, the circus, especially, you know, the radio, um, 
just people talking over the top of each other and just, you know, absolute gibberish. Um, but it was, it was quite funny, uh, often providing a laugh, um, especially with people, uh, for whatever reason, you know, left the microphone on and <laughs> every now and then you'd hear some kid, uh, you know, getting an absolute serve from, uh, someone for being a cheeky little devil. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's a crazy time. Happy that I was sort of there to, uh, be able to experience that. But, um, yeah, so, you know, like the teacher would, um, you know, put out a question to the class and, you know, then all of a sudden you just hear this cackle of noise and everyone, you know, the, the equivalent of putting your hand up to answer the question was just to call in with your name. And then I think the teacher would probably just pluck out whatever name they heard in amongst the, you know, the mess. And, um, yeah, so it was sometimes it was hilarious. Um, and, uh, yeah, pretty easy to kind of, um, you know, I guess not being in a, um, you know, personal classroom setting, like, uh, <laughs> certainly pretty easy to sort of, uh, you know, if you chose to, uh, yeah. disengage a little bit or <laughs> definitely, uh, yeah, sort of lean back on your chair and probably start drawing pictures in my book or something stupid like that. But, um, uh, no, it was definitely, uh, yeah, pretty cool. And then, and then, um, and obviously with the, you know, the internet and everything, um, you know, sort of came about and, uh, that was a real, um, luxury for people in the bush, especially at that time. Um, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, you know, it was sort of a, uh, yeah, real novelty. Uh, you know, I remember when they sort of came and installed the satellite dish and, uh, cause back then it was sort of, if you had internet, it was dial up. I was just about to ask that. And dial up in the bush was pretty much not worth having, you know, you'd probably get a <laughs> better bandwidth out of, uh, old telegraph line. But, um, yeah, so, uh, the, the satellite came along and then with it, uh, came this sort of new style of interactive learning, um, you know, with webcam. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people became very familiar with that style of learning or working in 2020, uh, with, COVID stuff, um, you know, working from home and doing the whole Zoom thing. So uh, we called it IDL, which was uh, what was in- interactive distance learning. And um, I can't remember the name of the program we used, but it was sort of I think I think they could sort of fiddle with Skype, and then there was a more um, formal sort of education uh, approved uh, program that we used, and that was honestly. Um, Excellent. I really think that that gave kids in the bush an opportunity uh, to have a quality of education that was, you know, pretty on par with a regular classroom environment. You know, you could see your teacher, um, you had a webcam on you, and if you chose to or, you know, when you're answering a question, like you're sort of having that almost face-to-face interaction um, and the rest of the class could see, like um, <laughs> some kids you didn't even know who they were or what they really looked like. Um, you just knew their voices prior to that. And so it was cool, you know, and, and you know, the, the classrooms essentially spread thousands of kilometres. So, yeah, definitely really interesting dynamic, um, something I wouldn't change for the world. We, we, we did have interactions. So once a term, um, we would have uh, our – it was called like an in-school week. Yeah. And so if we had our sports, uh, like a sports day, we'd have one of those annually – um, and then uh, it, w- it was basically an opportunity. It, it, it was generally the last week of the term, and it was just an opportunity for kids to actually get like a you know a gen- genuine visceral yeah mm-hmm. um, classroom environment. And 
but it was generally a bit more lighthearted too. Like it was sort of like last week a term and it was sort of, you know, you did excursions and that kind of thing. And that was always like a real highlight um, for anyone at School of the Air just because you got to actually hang out with your mates, uh, obviously crush on the girls too. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, you'd sort of have to sort of hit it out of the park with your make or break one week. <laughs> um, I just love that you're talking about like, you know, the challenges and the, of, you know, rural education or isolated education. And then, you know, the great advances that came with the internet. And I'm over here like, but what about the girls? <laughs> Clearly shows how much I've got going on in my life. Um, what was your favorite part about growing up on Deep World Station? Really hard to, I guess, uh, summarize that into, you know, one thing. Um, but it was just, uh, you know, not that I have children, but I would love to, um, perhaps give them an opportunity. I, I don't know, necessarily partial, but just, uh, and I think the perspective you kind of get growing up remote, um, you know, like every now and then you'd have a day off school to go mustering cattle or something like that. And that was like awesome. Like I live, live for that. Um, you know, and then just, um, I don't know, the simple pleasures, like uh, I think I kind of, you know, missed the, um, you know, with the introduction of the internet and stuff and a lot of kids were sort of, you know, I guess like I was around for when kids started to get into playing video games and all that sort of thing and, you know, we would go sort of make huts out of sticks or something like that and it, I don't know, it sounds ridiculous in a way but uh, it was just, you know, it was a, it was a cool quality of life, um, you know, free time to sort of do you know, whatever you could think of uh, with what you had. Um, it was, you know, nothing flash or nothing special, but it was pretty cool. Uh, and then, uh, you know, like I was, uh, uh, you know, you know, a real sort of diehard motorbike kid even from that age. So, you know, I'd bunk off on lunch and, you know, eat my fruits and sauce sandwich and then get on the bike and go rip out the flat for a bit and then, try and make it back before I had to go back to school, although generally I'd sort of know I was in trouble when a land cruiser would come ripping <laughs> somewhere, yeah, wondering where I was. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, something that uh, I know that I'm sort of, I guess, part of a, a pretty small demographic of Australian kids that get to experience that in the broader scheme of things and, yeah, I wouldn't change it for anything, yeah. What about, not that I want to, you know, focus on the negatives too much, but certainly acknowledge them. What was the, you know, because it's not all sunshine and daisies or certainly beer and not. Skittles. What was your least favourite part about growing up on a station? Just the, the hardships of the bush, um, you know. Um, was, you know, one thing I learnt sort of from a very early age was that um, being a partialist, you know, it's a great lifestyle and it is a lifestyle. It's not a job. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's... You know, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're at the beck and call of your occupation sort of 24-7. Um, and, um, you know, things when, you know, when the season's good and the, and the cattle prices are great or, you know, that kind of thing and it's going swimmingly, it's beautiful. And then, you know, the drop of a hat or, you know, I guess like over a period of a while, but when the seasons are bad and, you know, they certainly were sort of for us in the mid-2000s, um, you know, as a kid and it's drought. And, you know, and, and all of the um, byproducts that come from that, you know, I saw immense strain on my family, um, you know, uh, as well as, I guess, the people around us, you know, and the, you, you know, the, uh, I guess, yeah, the byproducts of that, um, you know, the cattle that are looking poorly and, you know, having to go and drag dead animals out of uh, dams and, or, you know, dry dam 
damn beds and, um, you know, all that kind of thing and, um, you know, having to feed them hay and, you know, they're just looking poorly and putting the lick blocks out and um, really having to bust our ass just to keep the animals, you know, alive, um, let alone, um, you know, get by comfortably. Um, you know, there were certainly times where the belt was very tight um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people kind of who aren't from the bush envision pastoralists as kind of, you know, big cattle dons and that kind of thing. But, you know, our station comparatively to the rest of the territory was sort of a smaller, medium-sized property and, um, you know, we didn't have uh, heaps of holding paddocks to kind of push the head around. And so, you know, if the block was dry, it was pretty bloody dry. And, um, yeah, that, I think that just being at the mercy of the elements is probably the toughest part of life on the land and, um, you know, understanding that uh, in that environment it doesn't matter how hard you work, um, you can bend over backwards and at the end of the day, uh, yeah, you're at the mercy of whether Mother Nature decides to make it happen or not. That's an incredibly insightful perspective from somebody so young. I can imagine a lot of people would try and shelter their kids from what's going on. But, I mean, really, when you're living and breathing it and it's kind of a, you know, whether it's good times or bad times, it's all hands on deck. There's not really much sheltering you can do. So you would have seen a lot growing up. And Yeah, I guess, you know, my parents did a fantastic job at making do with what we had and, um, you know, and I guess sheltering us kids in a way as, as best they could. But as you said, if it's your... You know, it's your home. It's sort of what you wake up to each day. It's it's really hard to kind of, you know, ignore that when you look outside the kitchen window and, you know, there's like a dust storm out there and there's not a blade of grass in sight and it's pretty grim. And then just, I guess, the, uh, you know, the, the general sort of feeling that that sort of puts on, like it just, you know, it accentuates everything. Um, my dad had uh, thyroid cancer in 2005 and that was sort of in the middle of, you know, pretty tumultuous times already for us. And it was just, you know, a lot of things really compounding. And, um, you know, I guess like in other occupations, you know, like if the business isn't going that well or sort of work is a bit steady, you know, you, you can kind of come home and in a sense, uh, switch you know, off. for some people, yeah, may, maybe switch off. But, I mean, you know, you, you go to bed and you're looking out at, your livelihood, you know, and you wake up every morning and it's the first thing, you know, you walk out the door and you look out the window and that's, you know, everything that you got. So, um, yeah, it's certainly, uh, in those times, you know, it's, it's really difficult. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people in the region going through that hardship together and, you know, you, you kind of sort of see it make or break. Some people, you know, put strains on, uh, on, on relationships, obviously on the bank balance, um, and, and people's mental health. Um, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, um, a lot of people really sort of struggled to, um, you know, put one foot in front of the other in times like that. So you experienced some pretty trying and testing times growing up. What did you do to find joy to try and be a kid during those hard times? I mean, you know, like I said before, um, just making do with what we got, um, you know, mucking around out in the sticks. But for me, um, motorbikes was always my thing. Um, you know, it's always been in my sort of thing to go and do to just switch off from the universe and, um, you know, people sort of 
I guess in lots of sports talk about um, that kind of state of mind that you can get into um, with your chosen discipline of sport that really allows you to disengage from everything else. And for me, that was always that uh, as a kid, um, you know, I'd just jump on and pull the helmet on and disappear for ages. And, um, you know, looking back now, it's pretty wild, really. Like, I'd just be out in the middle of nowhere by myself all the time, but um, I loved it. And um, my dad was um, now always a, a fan of motorbikes uh, as well and um, raced them and that kind of thing. That was his uh, deal growing up and him and his, his friends. And so... Uh, always something that I had a real passion for and um, yeah that was and still is sort of my go-to to uh, you know switch off and um, yeah if you need to sort of clear the head or whatever uh, yeah I, I found that and and you know readily available for me in a way you know it's not like I had to load up the bike and then you know drive an hour to the nearest available area and I literally just walk out the door and you know go and put some fuel in the thing and you know go for a burn around which which was a privilege and yeah a pleasure absolutely how old do you think you were when you first got on a bike oh i mean you know like from like an infant like i was (laughs) (laughs) i was sitting on the things and getting you know dad ride around or whatever and always just loved it you know blew my hair back and then um i think it was christmas day when i was oh jeez I was four years old, and I was four years old when I got my first bike. No way. Yeah. Does so. it, when you get a motorbike as a four-year-old, because I have seen those, like, little tiny kid ones, mm. do they have – do you get, like, little um, training wheels on them, or do you just have to, like, sink or swim on the on two-wheel? <laughs> it was sink or swim back then for sure. Um, I was – so uh, even before I – so I don't know. I, I was off training wheels young. Like, I was just always mad keen about anything two-wheels from – forever and then um like i was that keen okay my, my granddad uh from uh, mum's side uh, he uh one christmas holiday uh we were sort of down south and he went to the second hand shop and bought this old old bmx bike and it was red and i remember i called it honda one for whatever <laughs> reason and that was my thing and i rode that thing around everywhere and then um you know um by the time i was four i uh got a little honda z50 and um you know always a honda guy back then and um for whatever reason that was sort of you know like people go for their own footy team or whatever and sort of we were going for you know the red bikes but um and yeah, got got on the thing, and I can remember, uh, you know, blew my mind. Like I was super pumped about it, and then uh, got on the thing and rode it up the road, and uh, I did tip it over trying to turn around. I think on the first day, but that was it. It wasn't, you know, just drop the thing, but uh, yeah, hooked right away. Yeah, had my own little sort of ticket to freedom right there. So yeah, never looked back since. Now, I can admit I'm fairly ignorant when it comes to anything motorbikes and motorbike racing and, like you just saying, that you that you like to race and your dad raced. I do know that there is a big race in this area called Fink. Mm. That's about as much as I know. I don't know how long it is. I don't know how fast you go. I don't know anything about it. So, I know you have ridden in it before, though. So, I'm guessing there's probably a few listeners in the same boat as me. So, can you tell us about motorbike racing and think and, and how different is it you know going on something like think versus you know when something breaks from the mob and you've just got to go flat tack after it sure so you know it's funny i look at the days of mustering cattle 
and all of that as like a very good uh, sort of building blocks to doing the think stuff and any desert racing. So like, you know, dirt bike racing is a very sort of niche community, but think is um, probably, you know, I think now is probably the biggest off-road event in Australia and, um, you know, sort of is getting international accolades now. But, um, uh, you know, like the, the same sort of mental, uh, you know, principles that you would apply when, you know, you're mustering and, or something tears away from the mob and, you know, you're basically just ripping off into the unknown and trying to not only comprehend, you know, the terrain that you're coming across, which is probably foreign, but then also trying to, you know, the task at hand if you're trying to, you know, wheel a steer back into the mob or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, I found that that sort of thing was yeah, probably a really good building blocks for doing what we do. So, so think is, um, you know, it's a, um, Queen's birthday long weekend in June. Um, people come from all over. And, um, so there's 600 bikes and well, I think there's a couple of hundred cars that race it now as well. Um, like the off-road buggies and that kind of thing. Like, you know, you know, um, millionaire for toys. Pe- I was going to say, for people like me, he can't ride a two-wheeler. <laughs> yeah. I definitely need four wheels. Yeah. Often guys are used to ride and then they say with age comes the cage. So, yeah, <laughs> you get in the roll cage. But, um, yeah, so, and, and think is just, uh, so it's, um, you know, three-day event. Um, so you've got the prologue uh, on Saturday of the weekend um, and it's basically like a dash um, about sort of seven or eight k's. Uh, and that a dash, a dash. It's a, you go like you basically hammer and tong 110% and put the whole weekend on the line in that very short stretch. Uh, and because that will determine your starting position the next day. Oh, so, okay. yeah. And so race day one, so the races, uh, separated over two days yeah. and, and it started out in the seventies as just like a bunch of guys that were just keen to ride down to think community. And then it kind of became like a bit of a friendly wager between the fellas and they went down to, so think community or, um, Apertula. Um, it's, uh, an old railway siding community down sort of, you know, if you, if you're heading on the Stewart highway and you get to Colgra, um, if you turn east at Colgra, it's sort of like 130 Ks pretty much direct east from Colgra. Like it's close to the South Australian border. Um, and, uh, you know, Fink being, it's situated on the Fink River, um, which is kind of like the finish line down there, not, not far from that. And, um, you know, back then, I think there was a pub and stuff at Fink. So, you know, friendly wager, the fellas back in the seventies on their old sort of twin shock, sort of, you know, like, um, definitely not very, like, not super capable bikes, make, make and do what they got. And they all rode down there, got on the beers, sat around a fire because it's in the middle of winter, had a cracking time and then, you know, blew the cobbers out the next morning and rode home. And from that, it sort of progressed into this big, uh, you know, thing with, you know, sponsors and factory sort of manufacturers and stuff um, being interested in international talent and all that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, race day one sort of ripped down there. It's about 230 k's down um, and we follow – um, what was the old GAN line, uh, which is, you know, the, the original sort of GAN railway line, loosely follows that, like it sort of crisscrosses and weaves, but it's, you know, the railway is quite straight, so this race is very fast. Uh, um, that's kind of where it gets its notoriety from. Um, we just go, 
super quick. Um, you know, these bikes are sort of doing like 180 plus on the dirt. No. 180 k's an hour. Yeah. Holy yeah! Holy hat box! Yeah! Okay. Whoa! Yeah. yeah, so you sort of whistle along on the dirt, and so it's, only, would it only take you not even two hours to get there? Then not quite. So the so the top the top guys will do it in just under two hours. It's very rough as well, so it's not you're not sort of just sitting on the thing, okay. holding it. Comp- well, there are instances where you do. We it's about maintaining, I guess, the quickest speed as possible. The terrain's very rough you know that's that so yeah the the x factor for the event comes in because it's super fast and super rough at the same time so people's you know you sort of got to try and you know hit stuff that's pretty (laughs) not very nice to hit but um at at a very high speed and so yeah we try and get down there in, in, in around two hours like sort of you know guys in the sort of top 10 or 20 are sort of you know, maybe just over the two-hour mark. Um, people, I think, are sort of given about four hours or five hours to complete it for, you know, uh, it, it attract the majority of the people that enter are um, people that are just keen to say that they've done it. It's kind of like a bucket list of thing for a yeah. lot of people. Um, and so get down there. Uh, it's a real party down there. It's loud. There's thousands of people. It's camps everywhere. Um, and then... You know, some people sort of, you know, indulge in a few beers and that. Um, and then, you know, me, I try to get to bed and get a good sleep early and then, uh, you know, wake up the next day and then rip home. Uh, so. so does the – how you finish on the first day, does that determine how you start on the second – like on yes. the way back? Okay. So, so the prologue is a benefit, um, but it's not essential. Oh, but so, I mean, like, once you get there. Yeah. So, so, so day three, sorry. Day three. So if you get down there – um, but technically you could be, um, you know, like the, the fifth bike into Fink, for instance, or vehicle of whatever capacity yeah. that you're in. Um, but it's all done on corrected time. So it's actually about the time that you took to get there. So you could be the fifth bike into Fink, but if you were the oh. second quickest bike, yeah. then you would start the next day in second position. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so it's sort of, the prologue just helps because it's dusty, is just thousands of people lining the track. Like I think there's about 20,000 people line the track between Alice and Fink. It's like wall to wall with people. It's a real, it's, it's a bit of a spectacle, even for people to come and watch. Like for me, it was always the annual event before I could race. It was something that, so the race runs through the property that I grew up on and it was always kind of just like, it was just, you know, in, in the blood, really. The cattle must just see these people going past and be like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> there are no cattle yeah. within a fair few miles yeah. of that, that yeah. weekend. Sure, it's pretty loud down there. There's lots of, there's helicopters everywhere. There's, yeah. you know, cars and people and, um, you know, all sorts of lunacy happening. Um, and so, mm. what's the best result you've ever gotten riding in Fink? Um, so, I've managed a, a third um, in 2017. Um, you know, was um, fortunate enough to um, get a like a, a sponsored ride um, with KDM, um, which is a bike manufacturer, um, and yeah, just sort of I guess having you know that's those kind of resources available. Um, you know, the bike was incredible, and just uh, you know, really sort of getting into it. Um, you know, uh, my so my dad's 
best finish was third in 98 and then um, I'd always sort of aspired to that and then uh, yeah, he passed away in 2016 and so um, 2017, you know, uh, I just really had my sights set on uh, going for it and, um, yeah, managed to come away with the third. Um, certainly, yeah, a bit of a milestone event for me, um, something that I'd like to sort of continue to try and chip away at. But, yeah, um, it was, uh, you know, a memorable time for me, that's for sure. So as I said earlier on in the episode, you're a sixth-generation pastoralist, so that's what you were born into, um, or born as, sorry. So the five generations before you all were basically born on the land and continued on in that path. But I think something that's been really interesting that's come up in our conversations before is that up until, I suppose, our generation, it was kind of just a given. I mean, nobody was really forced into anything, but it was just the opportunities to go and try something different or do something new weren't really as accepted or, or just available. Um, whereas in our generation, there's certainly more, it's more, people are more open to doing different things and to allowing other people to do different things. Did you always want to be a pastoralist growing up or did you think, even though you loved growing up on the station that you wanted to try something else? It was definitely something that I, um, a part of me yearned for, but uh, interestingly enough, it was, it was something that, um, not to say that I was discouraged from it, but it was something that, uh, you know, my folks would always kind of, uh, say, you should try something else. And if, and if, uh, you know, if, if you want, eventually you could definitely end up back doing this, you know, it's, you know, this place doesn't change much and, um, you know, there's a lot of land out here for you to, you know, I'm sure I could get a gig, um, you know, sort of working on a property somewhere. But, uh, yeah, it was something that I think just, um, you know, and, and this is obviously going through those times of drought and that kind of thing. I think, um, you know, my folks, bless them, were just sort of, I'm not sure if they wanted to sort of see, uh, you know, myself and my brothers maybe, you know, lumped with, that whole lifestyle of, you know, you can bust your ass <laughs> literally and figuratively till the cows come home. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, if times are tough, times are tough. Um, and saying that, you know, it's also difficult because it's like, a, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's a passion. It's been my life forever. It's been my family's life for a long time. Um, and so, yeah, we're always kind of, uh, you know, I guess afforded opportunities to consider other things um, is maybe the best way to put it. And so, um, uh, like a lot of kids in the bush, and uh, very fortunate for me, uh, like I, I went to school uh, interstate down in Adelaide for high school. Um, uh, humongous culture shock for me, um, <laughs> coming literally straight out of school of the air into a classroom uh, in in Adelaide. You know, like and living sort of in the city and yeah, massive change. Um, yeah. And sort of really grappling with that, uh, as sort of, uh, you know, 12 or 13 or sort of however old I was. Um, and it was sort of something I was kind of thrust into, um, and then sort of had to just hit the ground running. Um, and you know, as a byproduct of that, um, you know, I guess sort of, you find interests and, and, and all of that kind of thing. And while living on the land is always something and, and the partial industry as a whole is always something that, 
strikes a chord with me and is something that I care deeply about. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I would love to, I guess, you know, explore. I'm a pretty, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm hard to sort of put my finger on sort of, put your finger on sort of person, but, I, you know, uh, I like enjoy the flavour of life, all flavours of life and, um, you know, trying new things and um, new experiences and, you know, there's a great wide world out there and, um, you know, I'd love to sink my teeth into it, you know, and then sort of see where I end up. But, um, yeah, so... Um, you know, high school and that sort of thing. And then, um, uh, you know, uh, following sort of my dad's passing, um, we ended up sort of, you know, the ownership of Deepwell has uh, since moved on. Uh, and so it was almost, um, you know, something where I guess in a, in a way, uh, you know, we, we had to sort of try and something new for the first time. And so for me, it was always, you know, uh, strange because um, you sort of feel, um, you know, like uh, not only sort of, you know, your parents, but, you know, their parents, parents and such and such for so long has sort of been involved in that lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's this bold new world um, that we're living in. And obviously, you know, with all of the resources available to us, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people may be looking um, over the horizon beyond sort of what's in their um, niche little world, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, I mean, just, you know, just from a sort of statistical or factual perspective, you know, like I, you know, I think uh, sort of grandparents' generation or that sort of thing, you know, people, you know, left their education and then got an occupation and then... Um, may have had one or two uh, job changes, but generally people sort of found a job and really stuck with it, you know. Um, it's kind of like time. a life sentence. In a way, in a way for some people, sort of, you know, certainly if it was something that you didn't really enjoy but you were roped into, maybe a life sentence. But, um, yeah, so, and I think that these days, uh, you know, a, a lot of people are sort of looking uh, more broadly and, uh, you know, there's, you know, you can you can f- pursue your passions, yeah, I guess. So um, I'm still yet to 100% find exactly what my niche is, but I've had a bit of a dabble at a, at a few things. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, whether it be sort of traveling a bit or just working uh, different jobs, um, you know, I, I still love, you know, working outside and, and uh, you know, I do enjoy sort of that practical aspect of work. Uh, however, you know, I'm sort of well applied, um, in a, um, office setting or, you know, in a, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it, you know, in, in a book work sense, um, you know, I sort of find myself, uh, applicable there as well. So yeah, I like to, I don't know, I guess you could say I'm a, certainly a, a jack of all and definitely a master of none. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly have a very broad, uh, set of skills Mm. you did tell me once that you had an interest in nursing and paramedics talk to me about that yeah so where that came from um goodness i couldn't say exactly where it came from i guess like i would certainly be an empathic person and um uh i've been scraped up by paramedics more time than i'd care to count just as a byproduct of bikes and you know all that sort of silliness so um I've always felt like I, you know, in a way I owed it, not owed it to them, but um, 
I don't know, like every time I was in that environment, like I could sort of, you know, I found a common thread there and I felt like it was something that I could do. Anyway, uh, leaving school, I uh, was originally intending to do that outside of school, uh, got accepted into that. And then just uh, at the time, um, just as a, you know, partly because being here remote and then just a, you know, money and a few other factors. I ended up staying here and sort of working in assortment of jobs here and then sort of fell into other things. Um, you know, I was sort of working, uh, at a, at a quarry, uh, for a while. Um, I worked, uh, you know, I sort of, uh, co-managed a, a small, uh, equipment hire business here in Alice Springs. Um, and then sort of, uh, I was, uh, doing some trade work um, when, you know, and then my father passed away and I did sort of go overseas for a little while after that, um, just sort of needed to check out of the country for a couple of months um, and then uh, came back and, um, yeah, sort of, <laughs> it's been a bit of a uh, sort of, yeah, a uh, bit of a rinse cycle sort of thing. I sort of, yeah, get rinsed and then spat out somewhere totally new. But, um, yeah, I, I uh, also had a foray into journalism uh, at one point. I was working full-time uh, as a journalist uh, for uh, newspaper here in the Territory. And- <laughs> Don't hold back. Now, which newspaper were you working for? I was for? working at the NT News. Um, <laughs> which I'm sure most people would be familiar with because they just – I don't know how they managed to do it, but they have – an incredible headline every day of the week, like a front yeah. page. Like- yeah, it's a. It, it was a certainly interesting time. Um, you know, it's it's this real uh, clash of kind of the corporate um, media ethos of you know the big sort of news corp mastheads versus the territory's rural setting, and so. Um, you know, while there was certainly, you know, someone once said to me, it was kind of like a, uh, it was kind of like a cross between, you know, like the Sydney Morning Herald and then National Geographic and then like Zoo Weekly magazine <laughs> <laughs> or something ridiculous. Um, it was, you know, it was definitely pretty broad there. And it was cool because in the territory setting, um, I certainly got to grapple with a lot of, different topics and different things going on, whether it be, you know, breaking news or crime or big incident or a sporting event or, uh, you know, all sorts or, um, you know, trying to sort of, uh, you know, uh, unearth some stories here in the territory. But, um, yeah, it was definitely interesting. And then, and then the headlines kind of happen almost exactly how you'd imagine. Um, you know, the, the staff all sort of sit around as the, Days drawing to a close, and we're about to sort of submit the paper. That's how it works. So everyone sort of compiles their contribution to the paper, and then at the end of the day, you're kind of looking at what will soon be the finalised template for the next day. And then, you know, if it is one of the quirky sort of headliners, it's pretty much just everyone sits around and throws stuff at the wall till something sticks. Um, and yeah, it's often ends up pretty humorous it's it's certainly their brand i think is that tongue-in-cheek you know territory sort of humor uh while you know obviously touching on the current sort of what's going on here as well yep so you've done some pretty cool things you know while you're while you've had this opportunity to explore what you know how to find your passion and what it is you want to do from construction there's been business management 
um, journalism, you know, all, you know, I guess suppose the construction um, and, you know, working at a quarry and these kind of like labor type jobs may not seem so far fetched from, from growing up on a station and those set of skills that you would get, but then, you know, all business management as well. Of course, it's not something we ever really think about, but stations or pastoral pastoral businesses are businesses, so you need those skills as well. Mm-hmm. Journalism was certainly a little bit left field for this bush kid, at least from my perspective. Yeah, um, for me too. Uh, honestly, it was something that I – so I went to – uh, yeah, life, you know, I've had a few things sort of go right or left a few times in life and just um, sort of, you know, land somewhere unexpected. But um, I, I went to Darwin, um, you know, decided to just head up there for a look. And then I don't know why, I, I guess like I'm a, you know, I enjoy literature, you know, I enjoy to read and current events and, um, you know, uh, not really sort of sink my teeth too much into um, news, although definitely sort of keep an eye on it, but more just like, a, you know, interested in stories and people. And so I went to the NT News um, and the whole time, I, you know, I think they were sort of, you know, it's sort of who's this joker, but, um, uh, you know, I went there and um, just asked, you know, if I could just have a go basically. Um, and, I was working there as an intern, uh, unpaid. Um, worked there for a while, unpaid, and sort of just, uh, you know, they kind of just threw me in the deep end a little bit. There was no real kind of formal training. It was just like, okay, here's what we want you to do. Just go and do it. Um, and I love that stuff for me. Um, I don't know. I just enjoy you know, uh, I guess like a, a really foreign challenge. I think that's probably, you know, um, sort of one of my pillar sort of traits in a way. Um, and so just threw myself into it. And for whatever reason, um, I had just an objective of making it work kind of thing. I could not just sort of going there and, you know, getting a bit of work experience and make it look good on a resume. I was sort of, so at the time I was kind of interested more broadly in actually, you know, getting those skills and then sort of coming across into, you know, the, the dirt bike thing and passions with that and sort of thing and kind of trying to use news or journalism experience as a way to kind of, I don't know, just sort of like uh, always a cacophony of like just weird ideas. But I, yeah, was able to sort of work there. And, um, yeah, it was definitely um, something that I probably never envisioned myself doing. But, yeah, was able to have a crack. How old were you at the time that you decided to go and work as an intern, you know, for free uh, for 18 years? I think I was about 24. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what I'm picking up here, though, is that, yes – you know, you've done a few different things, but no matter where you are or what you're doing, you're, you are always working and learning and growing. So yeah, you've, you've tried your hand at a few different things, but it's not like you're just coasting through life, you know, collecting, I don't know, am I allowed to say collecting Centrelink? Like, I don't know if I could, I might, might ruffle some feathers with that one. Um, as I, as I went to go say, I was like, oh. Probably shouldn't say that, but you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, right. you know, like you're always working, you're contributing to society, even though it's, you know, you're trying something new. And I think the other thing is, is that it's incredibly brave to do something so far out of your, 
you know, like you'd never, you hadn't gone to uni and done journalism, you hadn't done any training no, for that. No, full disclosure, that was just saying, like, I've never, to be frank, I've never really winged it so much in my life. But, yeah. yeah. And so, but like that speaks volumes about you and your character though, because it would be so easy to go, oh, well, you know, and, and I'm guessing that, you know, from being on the station and doing some work in construction that you've got tickets and licenses and whatever you need to be able to do certain things and, and that you you could probably do it in your sleep so you know uh operating machinery and all that stuff it'd be so easy to go okay well these are my skill sets i'm just going to do this and i'll just go find a job and settle down and this is it like forever like this is my whereas you're like mm-hmm. no i'm gonna try and you're not just like yeah you're trying things that you that you have no experience in and you know and at not older in life but you know I know, I'm like, I mean, your early 20s aren't older in life, but, you know, for trying new things, like, in a way, it is, sure. like... yeah. I think, you know, some of my family pull their hair out and, um, you know, there's even a part of me that sort of think <laughs> I need to find, um, you know, an occupation and sort of maybe sort of settle down and, in the traditional sense and really nut my life out. But sometimes, you know, life would just throw a curveball or an opportunity will come up and I'm just, you know, for me... Like, um, I don't know, monotony is, and is just, in, yeah, I don't know, it's incredibly suffocating for me. Um, you know, I just enjoy um, change and trying, yeah, having a crack and just, I don't know, think, like to think I'm pretty open-minded and I think often, you know, you're um, surprised at how much you enjoy something you never thought you would. And so I've, you know, kind of realised that and then, so, you know, taking that, um, you know, I guess concept and then sort of something will land in your lap or something, you know, a thought will occur and you're just like, oh, well, you know, I'm sure that there's something I could gain from that or something that, you know, will allow me to, I don't know, grow in some way, um, you know, very much about sort of just um, picking up pieces of the puzzle along the way and, um, yeah, certainly sort of got pieces from a few far-flung sort of areas yeah like really opposing sort of things and i find that you know like um in the sort of scene of people that i worked with like i was certainly not from a background as to most of you know kind of the kids who go to uni and then come out of uni and then um perhaps have a different perspective on life than sort of you know my background and i felt like with that i was able to make a viable contribution um, to what I was doing. And then on the opposite side of the coin, you know, doing more practical things or whatever, I'm able to bring a, a different element to it. I don't know. You know, I'm just sort of still, you know, putting the pieces together, as I said, but yeah, I'm trying to, trying to enjoy it as much as I can. It's not always easy. Uh, it's been, you know, it's, sometimes it's been downright crazy, but, um, you know, just trying to, you know, have fun on the ride yeah yeah and i I suppose it's something that our grandparents and great-grandparents like it's not it's not an opportunity that they would have really had like this is kind of the first time where it is socially acceptable and and you just have you know it's not like you're you know say back in the day by this age would probably both be married with like a biggest mob of kids and you know like that would have probably happened just when you're 18 or something and then that is you just you got to get your job and you got to provide whereas these days you know you can try different things and i think though like i said before it just speaks volumes that you're always doing you know you're trying things but you're continually learning and contributing along the way i think it really would be the path of least resistance or the easier path to just go oh well 
pretty good at this construction stuff or machinery operating or whatever. And I'm just going to do this. And if you choose to, if that's what you end up doing, like good for you, but you know, you've, mm. you've really, you know, had a crack and sometimes I'm envious of friends of mine who sort of seem to find their passion or, you know, their niche in life and then are able to rip right into that and then kind of go the traditional route and settle down and, you know, 2.5 kids and mortgage married <laughs> by the time they're 30. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, and then, uh, certainly, you know, uh, there's a part of me that, uh, not, it, not like envious of it, but you know, you kind of look at that and then you think, you know, goodness, I, that just sort of seems so adequate in a way. And then, you know, there's another part of me that I, I don't know. I just, I just, <laughs> I am unable to do that at this yeah. stage. Like I just feel like there's sort of, still too much out there to do and um you know i'm just trying to uh you know i think i need to uh i don't know i'm not I'm not quite done yet in sort of just uh you know figuring it out but um you know at the same time i'm just trying to rip into whatever it is that you know comes along and um you know make the most of it and grab it with both hands when it's there but um yeah i, I don't know it's like, uh, you know, they say sort of change is as good as a holiday and maybe I'm just <laughs> slacking off on holiday all the time. I don't know what it is. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, have a thirst for new things and um, just new experiences and, um, you know, trying to have fun on, on the way. I think we, and by we I mean like all the humans, are all so different and have had such different experiences in our life that that – then plays out that we have different needs that need to be fulfilled and met. So, you know, some people by having that one job and staying in that one place and doing that thing is that's meeting all their needs. And then for other people, and I can certainly um, empathize with what you're saying is that, yeah, you need to do other things to meet those needs. Cause we, yeah, you have different needs. So yeah, I guess like I'm just, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Trying to quench the thirst or whatever you call it, but yeah, needs are different. Um, and, and it all adds up. It's not, you know, you're just building all these experiences and who you are as a person. And I don't know, I feel like everything just, even if it's only like a grain of sand at a time, it's all adding up to like who you are and then whatever you do. Certainly. And, you know, I, I, um, you know, have intentions of, you know, hopefully someday, you know, sort of pull my head in and figure out exactly what I'm after and, you know, maybe sort of find that consistency in life. But, um, you know, thus far sort of life experiences and, uh, you know, all kinds of things have sort of just led me to where I'm at. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I guess just, you know, the, the sort of teachings and learnings that I've had so far have just, uh, you know, made me sort of think, you know, I, I guess giving me the mindset that I've got and try to be sort of think really quite broadly. And, um, you know, I sort of, um, you know, I try not to get, be too rigid in, uh, you know, my sort of, uh, you know, have, you know, have your sort of moral and ethical code, but not be too rigid in your beliefs and be open to new ideas and new things. And, um, you know, I think that's sort of certainly allowed me to sort of experience, um, you know, a variety of things, but, you know, um, you know, sort of some of my, you know, you know, whether it be close family or friends, you know, people passed away very close to me, um, and that sort of thing. And, you know, really just sort of drove home to me that, you know, like life is precious and, you know, it could change any day. And, you know, for some people, you know, they've been 
so close to, you know, achieving you know, what it is that they're truly after. And then, you know, at the end of the day, like perhaps, you know, but in saying that perhaps didn't quite sort of live in the now, or, you know, stop and smell the roses along the way. And so uh, <laughs> I was really kind of made that, not a mantra, maybe it is um, something that, you know, I really just sort of always remind myself. It's like pull up and, you know, enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still, you know, trying to, um, you know, uh, build myself into the man that I would like to become. But, uh, you know, I <laughs> sort, sort of want to, you know, grab a, you know, a few slices of everything else along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Try not to be too monotonous. Now, I'll just, I just want to ask a few different questions before we wrap this up. Sure. Um, so we've, we've heard a, a fair bit of your story and learned a lot about you. And I think while, you know, being someone from a station, you know, there, I suppose in a way there's limited people that will have those exact experiences um, as you've had and really identify with that. I think it's just the broader, your broader approach to life and the experiences you've had up after the station that is going to resonate with a lot of our readers. Um, I'm sorry, listeners, thinking all readers, you know, when you write us some blogs for the website, (laughs) could be a 2021 goal. Yeah. But um, (laughs) speaking about reading, I know you are a a pretty, you are pretty well read um, and love a good book. What is a book that you would say has changed your life? Oh goodness. It's uh, the power of one by Bryce Courtney. Um, it's just a book I read when I was young and it's not, I haven't read many books multiple times, but that's one that I read a few times. And I think it was more just like the, the age that I was at when I read it, you know, I think I was sort of early adolescent, like maybe just before my teens. Um, you know, I, I read this book and I just think it's one of those books that, you know, everyone should read once. Um, it's, it's a, especially if you're young, like it's a coming of age kind of book. It's about, uh, you know, a young boy in South Africa, um, just post the Boer War, um, who's, I guess, like from the country and, uh, strives to become a boxer. Um, but it's a, it's a fictional read, but, um, yeah, just something that really struck a chord with me at that age, really enjoyed it and something that I've read uh, a few times. Cool. All right. Tell us, what do you do to look after yourself? <laughs> um, probably not enough. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, certainly, you know, I could say the bikes thing, but then that's probably not looking after myself. It's probably seen me sort of on the receiving end of not looking after myself more times than I care to count. Um, but, uh, I don't know. As the older I get, the more I kind of realize that it does pay to every now and then just <laughs> do something nice for yourself. Um, I, I do, uh, every now and then get a, like a, there's a, uh, great sports masseuse here in town. That's sort of my, <laughs> cool. my, my treats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, cause I'm always sort of wound up and, um, yeah, sort of definitely, I don't know twisted sideways and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, sort myself out with that. Or just, uh, I don't know, I, I definitely uh, know how to r- relax it as well, that's for sure. Like, a, you know, just thoroughly enjoy just sitting back in good company and, you know, taking it all in, yeah. Reflecting back on, I suppose, not just what we've spoken about, but 
in general, your life, you know, mm-hmm. Luke Hayes, this is your life. Um, what would you say if you had to kind of sum it up or pick something that you've learned along the way? Just that, you know, like everything can sort of change in a moment. And so therefore, you know, it's probably, you know, don't, don't sort of hedge your bets on any one thing. Just try and, you know, uh, have a slice of everything and, um, you know, try to enjoy yourself along the way. You know, don't take it too serious, you know. Um, you know, we're all going to end up in the same place, so may as well have some fun. <laughs> Lovely. What a great way to finish. Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au.